So uh, we have been doing a series on the church that Jesus is building, and t- today is the final of those four uh, Sundays. And so I just am going to kind of quickly remind us of what we've been looking at before we dive headfirst into uh, today. So we've been looking kind of at like who, what, and today's going to be how. So one of the things that we were saying is that the church that Jesus is building, according to Jesus' own words in Matthew 16, it is victorious. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And those are real words. That's not just like some kind of weird Bible scripture. That's real. It, we, we actually have victory, and the church that has victory is built on this rock. What is the rock? Revelation. Revelation. It's that, 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 that amazing phenomenon of the Holy Spirit opening up the eyes of our hearts to see into the kingdom of God, to see, not just get with up here, but to see it, to see the kingdom of God, to see Jesus and understand him. When we have revelation, then we can live in that revelation. And when it's revelation, it's we're, what we're living in is not just our own strength, it's him. And that's why the gates of hell can't prevail against it. So we talked about the church being built on that. Church is a partnership of uh, saints, deacons, elders, and translocal team partnering together for the sake of the gospel. We're trying to keep it super simple. Where do we get that? That's Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and uh, as well as the entirety of the New Testament. <laughs> You're going to see those four roles over and over. Um, and partnering for the advancement, the extension of Christ's kingdom through the gospel, through making disciples of people. That is what we're doing. And so I'm kind of wanting to ask us to have in our hearts and in our minds as we're finishing up the series and as we reflect back on this series, that we can kind of open up beyond what we've known church to be and get back to the biblical origin of what Jesus said his church was. Jesus needs people on the earth who actually are daring enough to believe what he has willed and actually believe it and to run for it. Amen? I want to be amongst those people. And how many of you know there's a lot of tradition and a lot of man's tradition that can get in the way? And it makes it into something that you and I, if we're real, if we're honest, we don't even like it. What I signed up for when I actually met the Lord at the age of 18, I signed up for him. And what I've seen since that time is him and a whole bunch of other stuff. And I want to get back to it being about him and you and I fitting together according to his design, his dream, his mission, his revelation, not what we're used to. How many of you know you can get really used to playing church? Am I, am I alone here? And we start talking the church, and we start doing the church stuff, and, and there's zero power in that. But more importantly than that, the world who doesn't yet know Jesus are not attracted by that. We have zero power in influencing the world, unless they are, like, desperate. So I want to get back to where the world looks at us and sees something that's authentic and is, is human but is divine at the same time. And so today we're looking at how and three kind of aspects. One is our confidence is in Jesus. Not programs, not strategies, and not numerical goals. 
Jesus, abiding in Jesus. Secondly, is a thing that I call friendship before function, before our doing and our work and our stuff that we do, that we're first friends, actually. It's like real. And thirdly, I want to kind of show us how we can respond to this whole series by five, four, with an, let's call it five, five things that you see in the New Testament, five simple things that, that believers in the New Testament are to be devoted to to make all this stuff happen. To happen. We've got to have actionable steps or else it ain't going to happen, right? And so I want to serve us this morning by pointing out what the Scripture says as to what we do to facilitate an environment where this stuff that we all say we want actually happens. Firstly, let's look into this. Confidence in Jesus over program strategies and numerical goals. I'm talking about abiding in Jesus, and we'll explain that in a minute if you don't know what I'm talking about. But this is something that I have noticed, my friends. And I'm, I'm kind of talking as one who I feel like I, I, didn't, uh, I, I didn't come from church. I mean, I grew up going to a church, but it wasn't like church in a New Testament way that I understand it today at all. It was a Sunday, one hour, clock in, clock out, get out, go do what you want to do. That's what, what I didn't grow up in this stuff. I didn't grow up in the stuff that I've come to encounter. And so I kind of feel like I have an outsider's perspective. Here's what, one thing I've noticed about church. Unhealthy church oftentimes can look appealing on the outside, but as you get further into the inner core of those who are actually like carrying it, you're going to find toxicity. You're going to find dysfunction. You're going to find broken marriages. You're going to find, in some cases, moral failure and scandal and, and stuff. You're going to find uh, staff who are disillusioned and upset and broken and hurt. You're going to find that kind of stuff. So you may, on the outside, for example... You may find the greeters are so nice and they're smiley, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with greeters. We got them too, right? We got some people up here on the, you know, go greeters. All about that. But, but it's almost like a business where we learn to do the stuff that's going to cause people to come because the objective is to get people to come. And I want to say that there's something far more wonderful than just getting people to gather in a building. It's to transform people and, and to cause them to encounter Jesus so that they can begin to being transformed into his image. That's what we're wanting. So you may have like the wonderful choir and the stuff. You know, it looks appealing on the outside, but as you get into the middle, it's actually toxic oftentimes. Healthy church, exact opposite. I've found many times. Oftentimes, it actually, it's kind of like you come in and you're like, well, where's all the stuff? Like, what's all, you know, all the, and, and, but then as you get into the center of it, you're going to find marriages that are strong. You're going to find families that are strong, healthy. You're going to find people who have something of God's kingdom operating in their midst. That's what we want to be. And so, uh, and yeah. So look with me, if you will, to John chapter 15, verse 5. Just want to read this one scripture. Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So 
I am the vine, and you and I, he is the vine, you and I are the branches. He who abides in me, that's a critical word. We, uh, that means to live, to, to take your residence in. Abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. So what's this idea of abiding? What's this idea of like the branch? And, and just think about it with me. If you can think of like a, a, a branch with you know, limbs coming out of it or a vine with you know, things coming out of it, what does it look like for those things to abide in him? It's two things, very simple. The branch abides in the vine, it is connecting. And that's really the main point, is connection. It's living from a place of connection. How many of you want to bear a lot of fruit in your life? I mean, all of us want that. We all want to fulfill divine purpose. That's what purpose is. It's bearing fruit. How does fruit happen according to Jesus? Connection, where the parts connect. And that means that we drive ourselves into him. That all of what we have is without reservation yielded to the vine. What we have, we're giving. We're, when we're in troubled times, as an example, we're not searching there, we're not searching there. We know where we search for. We connect into the vine. He's our hope, he's our source, he's our direction. But there's also a flow from the other way around. We allow what is in him to flow into us without hindrance. It, there's, there, when God wants to speak to us, when he wants to make adjustments, when he wants to, to do some stuff that Minda was saying earlier of God's wanting to make some adjustments in the season, we're not resisting, we're not backing away, we're receiving from the Lord what he, whatever he wants to give into us. There's flow. If we can do that, we can bear fruit. And only if we do that do we actually really bear fruit. So our confidence, therefore, is not in our programs, our strategies, those things aren't evil. It's not our numerical goals that can get off course, but it's not evil. It's in abiding. Jesus is, is the one. So I'm calling us as a local church. Can we all agree on this? That our confidence moving forward in the call of God is in one, him. In abiding in him with, with surrender. He has his way in me, and I give everything all that I am to him. If, I, if we can just live in connection, it will happen. Uh, what I've found is, yeah, I'm not going to say that, but, but, well, I'll just say it quickly. Uh, oftentimes, you can have a church with great strategy, with a dynamic leader who's charismatic and draws a crowd, with all the stuff can sometimes... And again, that's not evil. We're not against dynamic leaders. I kind of wish I was one, you know. <laughs> It'd be funner. But, but that, that, those things aren't evil. But if that's what we're building off of, oftentimes that can produce a church that is a flash in a pan. It has excitement. It draws a crowd. It can last for 10, 15, 20 years. And that may seem like long-lasting fruit, but in the scope of the church and eternity, that is not the fruit that remains that Jesus talks about in John chapter 15. Where what you, what you see is a church that's established that is about getting numbers, whatever that may be, usually attendance. But the, the culture of the church is not a reflection of heaven. It, just imagine with me, what if we were a church that put all of our eggs in the basket of abiding in him in connection? That Jesus could do whatever he wanted through any of us. at any Just imagine what that church would be like. That is a church 
that is going to have fruit that is, that is longevity. If we can maintain that position, we have longevity. That is a church culture that is going to look more and more like the king in the kingdom. And that is a church that is going to be able to multiply itself over and over and over because it's full of life. That's what we want to be. Uh, we were a part of a church when we moved to South Africa, our family, it was actually, we had the privilege of being a part of the church from which the NCMI team was birthed back in like 1981. And uh, while we were there, 2011, 2009 to 2011, they had their 30 year anniversary. And uh, I remember they got, the elders got up and there was celebration one Sunday and they had like a map and uh, it showed like uh, the whole globe, and there are all these dots all over, and they were explaining that all of these dots are represent churches that have been planted out of this church, the church that where we were in Johannesburg, South Africa, and uh, there were 30 of them. Over a 30-year history, 30 churches have been planted all over the world, Mongolia, Australia, Singapore, Ireland, UK, all throughout Europe, United States, etc. 30, 30 and 30 years. And, uh, and they made the point that there was no, you know, it, 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 there was no numerical goal of trying to, like, plant a church once a year. None. They were saying this happened because we've been following Jesus, and he brought the fruit. I'd say let's do the same. Tyron Daniel, uh, who leads today, leads that team, says this, success in the kingdom cannot be counted. It must be weighed. So oftentimes, and I'm speaking to an American context here, where in the church, we oftentimes, if we're honest, have become kind of more like a business. And we look at success as numbers of how much we, and, and look, numbers matter because numbers equal people, and people matter. I'm not, I'm not saying, like, we don't want to see more and more people, but how does that happen, and why does that happen? We want people to be coming because they're going to encounter something of Jesus, not because we've got awesome programs and they're going to, you know, 30-minute preach and children are all happy and, you know, kind of satisfies all of our desires. We, we want to, people yearn for something more than that, you know? And uh, success in the kingdom cannot be counted. It must be weighed. What do we mean by that? That how much of Jesus is in this thing? Not how many, how much of Jesus is present in this thing? Uh, another kind of... Uh, potable quotable from uh from our man ty he says more than more important more important than a church's seating capacity is its sending capacity again seating capacity and all that that's important how many people sitting in those seats are capable of being sent to lead a community group how many of those people sitting in those seats uh, are able to function in, in the biblical ministry, perhaps the gifts of the Spirit, or operating in their own gifts? How many of those people could be sent on a mission trip to go help another church and spread the gospel into another area? How many of those people are ready to be sent to help plant another church in another area? It's sending capacity, which is all about people who are living a life of abiding. So what can we do with this? I would say, can you join us? I'm inviting you to join us in putting our confidence in being close to him and connected to Jesus, abiding in him as, as the main most important way that we move forward as a local church into our calling and destiny is him.
connection. And that begins in your own private capacity. That's not something we do on Sunday. That's something you do on Monday morning. Okay, so let's move on to the second thing. Friendship before function. Uh, you guys remember a guy named Rodney Lloyd? He's a pastor here in the church, except we sent him and his wife needed down for a year to Georgia. And uh, so Rodney has been in ministry since around the time of Noah. And, uh, and Rodney, uh, in the early 2000s, got hold of a book called The Church That Jesus Is Building. Great name. I did not steal our material from that manual. Uh, it, wasn't, it was a manual, not a book. He got a hold of this manual. It was written by Dudley Daniel, who at that time was the leader of the NCMI team. He was amazed by this stuff. He read this manual. He shared it with me. I was amazed by it. And uh, in 2004, he went down to South Africa, and he said, I've got to connect with one of these NCMI guys. So he finds a guy named Grant Crawford, who uh, leads an incredibly robust church that's exploded all over the nations uh, on the coast of South Africa. And he went and met with uh, Grant. And uh, Grant said, hey, Rodney, why don't you come? And uh, we have an elders meeting tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock. Why don't you come join us tomorrow? And so in Rodney's mind, he's thinking of what he knows an elders meeting looks like which is you go into a room, it's an office, there's a board table, everyone sits down, everyone's wearing a collared shirt and a tie, and, uh, you know, and, and you greet people, praise the Lord, brother, and you know, do all that stuff, and you sit down, and then they talk, and, and no one really uh, necessarily likes to be there, and there's one man who's kind of like the head pastor, and he has hired everybody, so everybody kind of works for him, and it's, uh, it's a job. And he shows up at this elders meeting, and they're all wearing normal clothes like, or, you know, you would just wear on an ordinary day. And he walks in there, and they're, smi they're laughing, and there's like belly laughter. And they are like having great conversation, and it looked like a group of best friends. And then they sit down, and rather than a board table, they're, they're in Grant's living room, and they're sitting down in couches and chairs, and they're sharing, and they start talking about the, what God's doing in the church, and they're sharing out of passion and vision, and they're carrying this thing together. And it's like, it's like the disciples of the early church of just carrying Jesus' ministry together and loving it and loving being in the presence of God together. And he, his mind was blown. He's like, these guys actually like each other. <laughs> when, when does that happen? And we like to call something, we call it friendship before function. Can I read a scripture? Mark chapter 3, verse 14. Please hear this. This is so important, and you can read this scripture and not even notice it. Then he, Jesus, appointed 12. That's function. That's calling. That's being the apostles. He appointed 12. Why? That they May, might be with him. We think that he appointed the 12 so that they could go do the work. And that's definitely a part of it. But before they do go do the work, Jesus actually says that they might be with him. That was the goal. I want you with me, that Jesus would say. I want you to know me. I want to I be together, the real you with the real me. That they might be with him that's friendship, and that he might send them out to preach. How does it say? Out to preach and heal the sick and cast out demons. That's the function. The first part is being with each other. If that was Jesus' pattern, can I suggest that perhaps that should be the pattern of his church? If he started it that way, why don't we start keep it that way? 
Somewhere in the annals of church history, it became something else. It became a Sunday event. It became a building. It became some service that we go to and that we all sit and listen. And, and Jesus is building a community of people who firstly are friends. That's the, that's the context. And out of that comes the function of doing the things of the ministry. Just as ministry flows from connection with Jesus, our partnership flows from connection with each other. Actually being together. I hope as I say that, that that sheds a brand new light on community group. It is not an add-on to church. It is facilitating church. That is what church is. It's being together. You may think that, oh, they like to eat a meal and they kind of have communion. That's interesting. No, that is facilitating divine purpose. Just as much as what we're doing here is, at least as much. I think when we make it about friendship and really knowing each other, what happens is we begin to kind of inevitably get past all that veneer and all that falsehood and fake stuff that we do in church. Some of you have been around church. You know what I'm talking about. It bothers me for sure. And if we're building around friendship and real relationship, it's like all that churchy stuff can't exist there. And we begin to replace religion with the authentic and the real. Can I point out a couple areas that I believe the scripture tells us to, to replace religion with the authentic? I might, I might, I might kind of shock some people, to get prepared. I would say one thing is titles. Let's, rather than needing titles for somebody to show honor, why don't we have leaders who don't need validation from the people that they're leading? You don't need to be called by a title like pastor or bishop or apostle. And, and, and rather than acting as though we're honoring somebody, why don't we, instead of giving them a title, honor their leadership by actually hearing what they're saying and doing it, <laughs> if it's the Lord? I believe ten times over, Jesus was way more interested in people hearing his word and doing it than calling him Lord, Lord, if you know what scripture I'm referring to when I say that. Title Schmeidel. Matthew 23, verse 6. They love the Pharisees, the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, rabbi. That's a title. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father. One is your father who is in heaven, and do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. How can he say don't be called teachers when Ephesians chapter 4 talks about some being called as teachers? Like, don't you have to be recognized as a teacher in order for there to be teachers in the church? What he's talking about are, is titles. What Jesus is getting at there. Can I, can I push in a little bit further? Did you know that not one time in the New Testament anyone is called pastor so-and-so? Can I get a witness? Not once. Can I go a little step further? 
Do you know that not one of the apostles are ever called by a title? No one calls Paul the Apostle Paul. He's Paul. He, he, he refers to other people in his letters by name. So if you want to call me pastor, as an example, let's bring this home. I'm not going to correct anybody. I'm not, I, it's not even that big of a deal to me. But I do think the New Testament would lean on, let's not use titles. Why? Because it, number one, oftentimes suggests an unnecessary breakage between the leadership and those who are the rest of the church. We are all followers of Jesus. He appoints some to lead the flock. We're all the flock, though. Right? Pardon? Even the leader, absolutely. We are all the flock. All the, all the pastors are also sheep. <laughs> so there's, so it, titles tend to create a sense of the professional people who really do this stuff, and I'm just the unlearned person who, whereas what we want is every single son and daughter to feel a sense that you are as called and anointed by the same God as anyone else in the church or anyone else in Scripture. So it, it, it may seem like a subtle thing. I'm just saying, somehow in, the, in history, we got into this thing where you have to call a leader by a title, and I'm just saying you literally never see that anywhere in the New Testament. I think that's significant in terms of church culture. How about another one? Can I shoot another one at you? We've already kind of uh, touched on it before already this morning, but how about speaking... I, here, I would suggest that we speak from a place of connection with Jesus rather than church talk. So, I don't know if you've ever been in these situations, but sometimes you go into church and it's like people know the lingo. And you can just sense it. And for me, I have no connection to that. I don't even know how to engage that. It's, it's like, I, that... It, like, I love Jesus. He has revolutionized my life. This thing of, like, pretending to, you know, but then you go outside of the church and you are a completely different person. Run. Like, I can't stand that. So as Rebecca mentioned, I'm also a realtor. And that gives me exposure into outside of the church real stuff. Now, check this out. I've had clients they are dropping the F-bomb. They are, I mean, they're, they're, they're letting me know about some stuff in their life. It's interesting being a realtor, right? They're, it, all that kind of stuff. And then in the course of time, they find out I'm a pastor. And all of a sudden, oh, well, God, I really feel the Lord leading me to this house. And it's just the divine, it's God's will that I haven't been able to buy this thing yet. And, and all this stuff. And, and, and praise the Lord, pastor. And I'm like, get out of here, man. Just go back to being real. I didn't change for you. I'm not, like, talking this weird way. Like, I'm a pastor. It's a calling. It's not, you, you see what I'm saying? Church talk. Here's what Jesus has to say about this. But all their works, he's speaking to the Pharisees. He likes to just give it to the Pharisees, the, the fake ones, the ones who are showing what their, their religiosity before man, but there's no real connection going on here with God. He says, but all their works they do to be seen by men. 
They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. You may have no idea what he's talking about there. In that day and age, the Pharisees would wear these garments with these broad kind of borders, and on it would be written with the word of God, words, scriptures, certain scriptures they would write. And um, the broader they were, the bigger and more obvious they could be. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to step on toes unnecessarily, but I wonder sometimes with our like Christian t-shirts and stuff, I'm not against it, but I mean, if that's how we show the world that we love Jesus, I would say let's, you know, uh, there's more power in connection with him than there is wearing a t-shirt anyways. But that, that's what they were doing. They were showing off how spiritual they were by how broad these borders are so you can have the word of God on our garment. That's what they were doing. Jesus says, that's, they're just doing that to be seen by men. Here's my suggestion for us. Rather than speaking, and, and most of you, praise the Lord, are not like this. I'm just kind of speaking it into the culture so that we can all be in agreement and actually expose something that is a virus in the church and all be in agreement. We're not going to let this in here. Okay? Have a connection with Jesus. If you have an authentic connection with Jesus, what will come out of your mouth will be him. You just want to talk about him because he's good. You don't need to fake the church talk as a cheap substitute for having authentic connection with Jesus. So if we can all choose that, I think we will do well. Can I step on a third toe? I mean, you guys are going to need to get some damage control after this. I want to suggest that we honor God from our heart on the outside instead of Sunday best, wearing our Sunday best on the inside. And so, again, you know, this is not like a thing, but I'm just saying it gets into church sometimes that uh, we get this idea that we need to get dressed up for church. And I believe and I believe it's important, actually, that we wear normal clothes. In ch- that church is not some other thing in our life. Church is who we are. It, church is the body of Christ. We become part of the church through faith in him. But you, you don't go to church. How can you go to church when you are the church? And so if it's normal life, I'd say let's incorporate and embrace just being normal with one another. Here's what happens sometimes. If people who aren't part of the church come to church and everyone's wearing their Sunday best, they might feel like that's not for me. I don't, you know, that's one issue. But also it encourages a separation between my church life and my real life. There is no such delineation in the scripture. We are the church. We are connected as much on Monday morning as we are on Sunday afternoon. Amen. Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful, I love this analogy, beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. In the cemeteries back then, it wasn't like headstones like we know. Oftentimes there would be tombs made out of stones that would be whitewashed. And Jesus was saying that Pharisees were like that. They looked beautiful on the outside, when in fact what was inside is death like bones. And how many of, uh, of us in the church can put all of the attention on our outward appearance to what man sees rather than being real and acknowledging what's going on in here? The church needs a safe place where we can have people in our lives who know the crud going on in here 
and we allow them access rather than painting this picture of praise the Lord, brother, and all that garbage. Sorry to say, I'm not trying to be ugly, but sometimes it can be garbage. We allow people into our lives because this thing is real. It's friendship before function. It's real. Some of us have real struggles. We need people like who can actually talk us through that stuff and pray with us and stand with us. Not try to act like everything is okay and oh my gosh, and God's good and all the time and all the time and God is good. Y'all don't know that one, apparently. I'm just, I'm just being real. The first time I heard that, I came into church and some lady wanted to share during a testimony time or something and she's like, praise the Lord, everybody. God is good. And everybody says all the time. And she's like, and all the time. And everybody says, God is good. And I'm like, did I miss the memo? Who are you people? I'm just saying, like, we can get into this thing where we develop a lingo and a subculture that people from the outside don't even know what's going on. And, and can I say from my perspective, it doesn't impress. <laughs> I, it just, some people are impressed. I don't know. But let's be connection. Let's have connection. So what now? Let's replace any kind of church culture that has gotten, that's not biblical, traditions of men. Let's replace all of that with just the authentic Christ-centered, real relationship. Relationship with him, relationship with each other. Let's do that. How can we respond to this whole series? I would say summing up everything boils down to some priorities that we can make in our schedule, in our lives, that I would like us to re-examine today and encourage us to just to look at the scripture um, and uh, as our guiding light of how to live our lives and position ourselves, even in our calendar, our rhythms of our week, to do this stuff. There is a, a passage of scripture, uh, Acts 2.42, we're going to read it now, that says four things that the early church devoted themselves to, practices that they devoted themselves to. Four things. It's so important, and it's so simple. And then there's also a fifth thing that uh, Jesus told his disciples to do as he was about to ascend into heaven. He kind of left them with one charge. So these four things in Acts 2.42 are all to facilitate one overarching call that is what we're doing. Are you ready? I hope I'm making sense. Acts chapter 2.42 the description of the first ever local church in the Bible after Jesus ascends. Those words right there have got to put weight on what we're about to read. It says, and they, who are they? The first ever local church con uh, continued steadfastly. I'm speaking from the New King James, reading the New King James. Continued steadfastly. Let's pause there. The Greek word translated into continued steadfastly would mean they persevered, they were constant, they gave unremitting attention to. Guys, I'm not asking you to join like, and be faithful to do this and to do this in the church schedule. I'm saying if we want the stuff, uh, the fruit of Jesus and what his call for the church it doesn't matter what I'm telling you, and it doesn't matter what you are willing or aren't willing to do. It's the scripture gives us the model. 
of what to give ourselves to. They continued steadfastly. They clung to these for like a, like a life raft. As though life depended on it. Here they are. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Those four things. The, the, the rhythms of what we try to do as a church is to facilitate those four incredibly important things. What, are, what do those mean? Apostles' doctrine. I love that it's the apostles' doctrine because it's not the pastor's doctrine. <laughs> That's a whole other story. But what I mean by that is the New Testament church was built on the teachings of the apostles. And so it should be today. Not a charismatic preacher that you walk away and your thought is, wow, what an amazing preacher. What a great teacher. What a gift. We, that's cool. We love gifted people. We love the anointing and all that. But it's the apostles' doctrine. Is that being taught? In other words, is it apostolic authority of those who actually knew Jesus in the flesh? That is what the church is founded on. That is what needs to be taught. Why is that, what does that mean to us? That's what we are attempting to do on Sunday mornings. We're not having Sunday church because everybody knows church is on Sunday. We're facilitating a moment where we can look at apostolic doctrine and receive it. Why is that important? Because on this rock, I will build my church. It's the revelation of scripture. What we're doing here is like the central hub that everything that we do, even the prayer that we do, the community that we do, everything stems from what God is revealing to his people. Without that, we have nothing to do. Revelation from the word of God is what shapes and forms everything else of the will of God through the church in the earth. Apostles' doctrine, that's the first thing. Second thing is fellowship, which actually could be translated as partnership. Why is that important? Fellowship, being together, because Jesus said that he called them to be with him and then to send them out. We have to have a space to facilitate being together. That's why we have community group. So, you know, I know it's hard to remember, but as an example, some people will go on Wednesday night to the Steenbergs. What are their names? Steenbergs? Bob and Chris? Uh... So that will be happening uh, this Thursday. That we'll have community group in our house. We always have a meal. We always uh, have communion, which brings us to the next thing, breaking of bread. Um, and we always have a discussion about uh, just kind of plugging into what we're being taught here and, and kind of hashing it out and, and getting real with it and praying together. So breaking of bread, that's another thing. Do you know... The church is a family, and so much of connection, it's like this thing, you can't explain it, but it happens over a table. You guys know what I'm talking about? And if you don't eat with your family, by the way, can I suggest that you make sure you do that? Make that a habit? I mean, there's actually studies that have shown, I'm getting way off subject, but the studies that have shown that, uh, that uh, young, young people are way less likely to get into trouble with the law if they live in a home where they're regularly eating dinner together and not everyone separately eating in front of a TV. That thing of having family bonds 
that thing of having parental input into our life to help kind of steady our rudder, and the thing of in the church family that we actually are together and know each other. We spend time together, not just talking about the Bible, also laughing over tacos. It's important. Breaking of bread would also refer to communion. Some of you may think it's weird that we have communion in a house rather than in the holy, you know, church service. And we do have communion on a monthly basis here, but, but Jesus instituted it over a meal in a house. And uh, so it's important to regularly have communion together to remember what he did together uh, with us. And then finally, so it's apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And uh, can I say, prayer has become, it's like this optional add-on for the deluxe Christian corporate prayer. But according to, that, according to the New Testament, praying together was something that they, they held, they gave unremitting attention to. The church began as a prayer meeting, and it has never ceased to be the center of the church. Nothing happens through the ministry of this church that isn't first burst in prayer. Agreeing about the will of God together in a place of prayer. For us, right now, that's corporate prayer, 7 a.m. Thursday mornings over Zoom. I mean, you can roll out of bed, stinky breath, turn your video off, and still be there. I personally like to be together, but it's just kind of difficult to find a, a space in our calendar to be able to make that happen. And we do get together once a month. For the last Monday of each month, we do it together. But the point is, be there. Turn your camera off if you need to. Turn it on if you need to. My, my sons oftentimes have their camera on, and I'm thinking maybe they should turn their camera off. I'm not sure. <laughs> But I, I, I dig it. It's like, let's just be real. The point is, let's pray, not look good. No one's going to care if you don't look good or whatever. Pray, and when you're praying, be there, and, and don't just, like, you know, go do some other thing while the prayer is in the background. Like, agree in prayer. And I love the past couple of weeks we've had some people who have been newly joining in this prayer time, and they've prayed out. So good. I'm telling there is, that is the most important gathering that we have as a church, no doubt, because everything that God is able to do through us first starts in a place of prayer. That's how the church started. That's how the church will be. So four things. You got them? Apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, or fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And I'm just going to end it here. The, Jesus gave this mandate to the church. This is the overarching umbrella of everything that we're called to do this is the one central task that we are called to do is make disciples jesus gave the, these words as right as he's about to ascend he said all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me go therefore and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the father the son the holy spirit teaching them to Observe or to walk in everything I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Making disciples is what the church was left in the earth to do. It is what Jesus actually effectively did, and then he commissioned those same disciples to go do that. What is discipling? It's sharing whatever you have learned and obeyed from Jesus with somebody else. 
Your breakthrough becomes somebody else's breakthrough. Your encouragement becomes somebody else's encouragement. Your being equipped becomes a way of equipping and showing other people how to do things. Everything that you receive in your life from Jesus was intended to be given away, not just received. And that happens through discipleship. That is why Mind and I are doing this discipleship thing at the moment. I want to say everything that happens in that discipleship group needs to be that those people in some way, shape, or form are making disciples when we're done with other people. So what can we do with that? Firstly, if Jesus said of his church that we are to make disciples, I want you to think this one through with me. The call of the church is to make disciples. Wouldn't that suggest then that everybody in the church should be discipled? I mean, is there anyone that could claim exemption from that? Go make disciples. Think of the process from 2,000 years ago to the fulfillment of that, even down to this day today. How does that skip over me? I need to be discipled. I need somebody to come and, and uh, serve my life by helping me to grow. I need to be positioned to want to grow. Uh, there's nothing worse than trying to disciple somebody that doesn't even want it. But, but, uh, but I need that. On the other hand, is there anybody that can claim that they're not supposed to go give that? All of us need it. All of us need to give it away. All of us need to receive it so that we know how to give it away. What can you do? I would say, firstly, be discipled by somebody. Find somebody who can get in your life, meet with you regularly, and help you grow in your faith. I think it happens better in a small group. Uh, Jesus did it that way with 12, 12 young men. Uh, but I would, I would say pursue it. Reach for it. Get that in your life. And then number two, be discipled so that you can disciple others. And even every person in, in, in this room today could do one of these three things, or all of them. You can invite people into your life that don't yet know Jesus. Everybody can do that. You can invite them to know Jesus. When the, when the conversation is appropriate, when they're showing hunger, you know, if they're asking you questions and all that kind of stuff, you can let them share, find opportunities to share something of your faith. And thirdly, you can invite them into moments of church gathering, whether it's Sunday, whether it's community group, whether it's you having some people over at your house from the church, whatever the case may be. Invite people who don't yet know Jesus into faith-filled gathering, real. And not even necessarily where you're talking about the book of Ezekiel. You might be talking about, I wish it was the lion's. None of us want to talk about the lions right now, uh, but but something. Let's uh, let's get excited about the tigers. No, okay, U of M. <laughs> We're excited about the Wolverines. You can be talking about that, but invite people into real relationship. That is the highway of trust that becomes a bridge that eventually w the gospel that's in you is able to cross over that bridge and get into their heart. It's how this thing happens. It's all Jesus did. He made friends with people. He made friends. He had Peter and, uh, Peter and some other guy. We don't know his name. No, Andrew. I don't remember. John chapter 1. John chapter, John chapter 1. The end of John chapter 1. He had two guys over for a meal. That's how he started his ministry. 
We can do that. Let's pray.